0: And welcome to the short stuff. I'm Josh. There's Chuck. Uh, this is short stuff. Uh, let's go.
1: <laughs> hey ho! Let's go with the Habsburgs. Habs. <laughs> God. Uh-huh. Take two. Habsburg jaw.
0: Yeah, the Habsburgs. Oh man, I hadn't <laughs> said it out loud until just now. We're in I big trouble. Either. The Habsburgs jaw.
1: I think the tendency is to want to say Habsburg with a P, but it's Habsburg yeah. with a B.
0: Although in America, we've added the P, and it's just so prevalent now, and we're America. That's what it is now. It's Habsburg. Yeah, with a B, as in, boy, would you look at that jaw? <laughs> right. This is not to be confused. The Habsburg jaw is not to be confused with the Helsberg jaw which is what happens when you walk into a Hellsberg diamond store your jaw hits (laughs) the floor because the prices are so reasonable on really great jewelry. (laughs) Oh, man, if you don't get a kickback on that.
1: (laughs) I'd just see you next time and you've got the big uh, love-hate diamond rings like Radio (laughs) Raheem from Do the Right Thing.
0: I want a love-hate diamond grill. (laughs) Sweet. I wonder how that'd sound podcasting. Probably not great. Well, Hellsberg Diamonds, let's figure it out, you know?
1: All right. So who we're talking about are the Habsburgs. And they were a big ruling family in, uh, well, kind of all over the place in Europe. Uh, At the peak of their fame, I guess, or the peak of their rule, they had Austria, Hungary, Slovenia, Bohemia, Slovakia, Croatia, and a little bit of Italy, Romania, and Poland all under their purview.
0: Yeah. Like, not just their purview, under their thumb, in their iron grip of this dynastic family that ruled these areas for hundreds of years. Yeah. I mean, up until 1918, it took the First World War to break up the Habsburg dynasty. Yeah, that's a long time. It really is, because they originally came to power, Chuck, in, I think, the 13th century in, in Germany, when a guy named Rudolf I became the Roman-German king Um, which is, you know, nothing to sneeze at for sure, but apparently he had a rival, uh, in nearby Austria, in the form of Autocar Il Premisil. I'm going with Premisil.
1: Yeah, it it feels like there should be another uh vowel in there, but there's not.
0: So that Y is doing like double or triple duty right there, but it's working. Well, anyway, we're going to call him Autocar. Autocar said, you know what? I don't really recognize you as the Roman-German king, so we're going to be rivals, which really doesn't matter in this story beyond the fact that it drew Rudolf I's attention to Austria. And so when Autocar was killed, he kind of moved in and and set up shop and basically took over Austria.
1: Yeah, and so that's where they got their start. And then for the next uh, century, basically, they really did a lot of uh, con- conquesting, conquering, <laughs> and they took over. I don't to want to say something dumb in front of you. It's great. It's charming. Uh, they took over t- uh, the Tyrol, which is the place in the Alps that Austria and Northern Italy shared in the thirteen mid thirteen hundreds.
0: Yeah, and and also Chuck, where Uzi lived and died thousands of years. That's earlier. right. He I was he Uzi. was Tyrolean.
1: And by the time the 1500s rolled around is when they were really rolling. Uh, the Emperor Maximilian, or I guess future emperor, married Charles the Bold's daughter, Mary. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden they had control of Burgundy and also a little cachet.
0: Yeah. From what I understand, like that was, that was a, an enormous move. So they were making all sorts of moves, right? They were making moves, uh, gaining and con- consolidating power through conquering um, through marrying, um, well, just basically those two things, but it was working for him big time. (laughs) I bet there was one more thing. Um, let's see. How would you do that? You would conquer things. You would marry people and then you would uh, send like be known for sending really great thank you notes as follow-ups. Sure. That could, that could definitely win you some friends. Yeah. Okay. That's what the third thing was.
1: So here's the deal with this jaw, uh, because you saw the title of the episode and you've heard us say that a couple of times, mm-hmm. is they had a they had jaws that would make Jay Leno blush. <laughs> <laughs> if you looked up some of these folks, Joseph I, Charles I of Spain, uh Charles Second, Leopold Wilhelm, they had this very, very prominent lower jaw. And uh basically People got together and studied this over the years, and we'll get a little bit more into why this happens. Uh And they said, we're just going to go ahead and name this the Habsburg jaw because it's so prevalent in this family line.
0: Yep. And they did. That's why everybody calls it the Habsburg jaw. And if you have never seen it before, you probably have and didn't really realize it. But if you haven't, either way, just go look up Habsburg jaw, H-A-B-S-B-U-R-G jaw. And it will bring up some old-timey Middle Ages, Renaissance-era oil paintings. And you will see quite clearly what people are talking about when they say the Habsburg jaw.
1: So if you haven't seen it before, um, it's just a very prominent lower jaw and there's an underbite. And it's just, it's very distinctive.
0: Yeah. And if you don't, if if you're driving or something right now and you can't look it up, you know, like the cartoonish characters of like the Blue Bloods who are like, oh... That's astounding that that face that the cartoon makes is they're they're drawn with the Habsburg jaw. They're actually making fun of aristocrats as we'll we'll see in a minute
1: and here's the thing we don't want to make fun of anyone that has something like this, but we were just trying to figure out a good way to describe it. It's a prominent lower jaw such that there's even an underbite
0: yeah so so well, let's take a break real quick and we'll come back and talk about it a little bit more, okay, yes. all right, Chuck. so we're back, um, and we were talking kind of describing the Habsburg jaw there's actually a, a medical term for it because the Habsburgs aren't the only ones who have this jaw. Um, and you can have it to varying degrees. But technically, it's called mandibular prognathism. And that is where the, the lower jaw juts really far forward so that you have what, what you would colloquially, colloquially call an underbite, right? But the, with the Habsburg jaw in particular, it's to such a degree that the teeth no longer even line up. It's just really sticking out there, this mandibular prognathism. And then what they also figured out is that the Habsburg also had something called mandibular deficiency too, right?
1: Yeah, and that can affect your ability to eat, uh, your ability to speak. Um, and, you know, I, I don't have anything to this degree, but, you know, if you remember from bruxism, I've got a sort of an even bite and my lower jaw sticks out a little bit. Mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not Habsburgian. No. But I feel their pain.
0: It, it, with the Habsburg jaw in particular, it's it's pronounced enough to a degree that like the musculoskeletal composition is um it's it's different. It's it's just yeah. prom, a very prominent um, look, like you said. So um, what they figured out was that because of this and based on some documentary evidence, too, that some Habsburgs, at least um, I believe Charles II, the ruler of Spain, there's a contemporary account of him from the 18th century. Um, that basically said, like, his jaw was so uh, out of line, his teeth were so out of line because of this jaw, he couldn't chew. He had to swallow his food whole.
1: (laughs) Can we just read this? It's so great. Yeah. This is from Spain under Charles II by Alexander Stanhope. That's Doug Stanhope's
0: Uh, grandfather.
1: (laughs) Wait, who's Doug Stanhope?
0: The stand-up comedian.
1: Oh, that's right. Um, And he was speaking about Charles II. He has a ravenous stomach and swallows all he eats whole, for his nether jaw stands so much out th- that his two rows of teeth cannot meet, to compensate which he has a prodigious wide throat, so that a gizzard or liver of a hen passes down whole, and his weak stomach, not being able to digest it, he voids in the same manner.
0: <laughs> so he's just pooping out whole chicken yeah. gizzards.
1: Gizzard in, gizzard out.
0: Yeah. <laughs> that's what this. that's the old the old <laughs> statement so um when people started talking about the habsburg jaw like like it's because they figured out over time like this is a a real thing and it was very distinct for this family um and it became a thing years ago centuries ago people were aware of the habsburg jaw and and and, and just remarked on it but it wasn't until i believe that the 21st century that people started doing studies on it as best they could. Um, I guess you could say they're kind of made up studies and that there was no actual genetic um, testing to figure out what, what, you know, accounted for the Habsburg jaw. But they were doing the best they could based on portraiture of of, um, prominent Habsburgs um, and came up with some pretty interesting stuff.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, the uh, I mean, do we need a drumroll here to say what's actually going on?
0: I, If you haven't figured it out by now, then sure, we'll give you a drum roll. Uh, Dave, will you put a drumroll in, please?
1: All righty. The Habsburgs like to keep it in the family. And when we say keep it in the family, we mean really keep it in the family. This jaw was a result
0: uh, pretty obviously of inbreeding. Yes, which is not to say that anybody who has mandibular prognathism today uh, is the result of inbreeding. Of course not. Yeah.
1: I mean, it's a recessive trait. And, um, you know, when people that aren't in the same family get together, you know, you're going to have those heterozygous genes and they're going to carry different traits and that's all how it's supposed to work. But if you are in the same family, Mm -hmm. um, that may not be the case if you have homozygous uh, alleles and get together with a family member and make another
0: family member. They're going to have those same traits. Right. Right, because the chromosomes are going to be so similar that the chances of both parents having the recessive gene and donating that to the kid uh, really increases the likelihood of that kid having that recessive trait. There's a guy that's quoted in this article. Um, He's a geneticist named, this guy's name is great, Montgomery Slatkin. That's a great name. He um, he says that uh, if you uh, are a child of inbreeding, you have a, your chances are hundreds of thousands of times greater of receiving these recessive traits than of um, children of parents who aren't related in any way. That's right. So that was it. The Habsburgs, they wanted to consolidate power so much so that they just said, you're marrying your sister whether you like it or not. And the, the son would say, but Dan... And that's it for short stuff, everybody.
1: Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.